Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now, here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to the show. You're listening to episode 215. I'm Richard Bliss, the host, just like the man said. And this episode is brought to you by some very important people. These are people who have reached out and began supporting this podcast through my Patreon campaign, patreon.com slash Richard Bliss. So special thanks to Logan, to the Wallet Crew, who's about to come out with their Kickstarter campaign, David Thompson. They're the big sponsors at this point, and we certainly appreciate the money and the support that they've given us. But also, let's call out the, the last three that we've had. Story Club Games, Christopher from riseofchampiongames.com, riseofchampionsgame.com, and Jeff Cornelius with Cosmic Wombat Games. And I know I'm butchering those, but thank you to those guys for, and men and women, for supporting this show so that we can continue to bring you great content. Now, let's talk to my guest. My guest is somebody I just recently had on the show, and so I've invited back Scott King to the show. Scott, thanks for being here. Hey, I am glad to be back. Okay, so this is the second time we've had you just in a recent amount of time. Uh, tell me a little bit about your calendar project because you're about to do your second one. How did that go? Well, I think it's important when you're doing a, a, a small Kickstarter, and all mine have been very small, you know, nothing over. I think $3,000 was my most I ever asked for. I think it's important to keep it open mind and realize that you may have to evolve the calendars or evolve the projects as they go. What does that mean? And, what does that mean? It means that if it's, if it's not hitting home, look at the, the rewards, look at whatever you're doing marketing-wise or anything else in between and say, hey, how can I take this to the new angle to make people more interested? Okay, so when, and, when you say not hitting home, what, was, what would be an indicator of that? It's just not, no backers and no money? Is, I mean, is that straightforward? Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. When, when you, you hit you know, the third day, you've hit a complete plateau and it's nowhere near what you need to be, you really need to attack the, the campaign at a new angle. So day three. At day three, you already can tell that, uh-oh, I need, to, I need to do something different. Um, and, and I had that problem. I spoke about this briefly last time in regards to the calendar. Originally, the calendar was just supposed to be a base or a single calendar. It was 12 photos I took, and, and that was it. I had a lot of people complain saying, hey, you know, those games are too easy. I wanted more advanced games. So I was like, well, what do I do? I can't, I can't print, you know, a thousand calendars and sell those but at the same time have all those be different photos in each of those calendars. So then I decided, all right, well, if I scrap my whole idea of, of printing the calendars myself and then distributing myself and instead went with print-on-demand, I can go ahead and make a custom calendar. And so that's what I did. Instead of just doing a single calendar, I was then offering a base calendar where I picked the photos and then a custom calendar where people got to pick from over 40 photos of what they want to go in it. And once that happened, it really picked up and kind of exploded. What? was the downside. Why didn't you do print-on-demand in the first place? Um, if you're doing print-on-demand, if you're doing small numbers, it's probably much more beneficial to do print-on-demand. If you're doing larger numbers, it's definitely going to work out in the end. You'll make more profit by using a printer and distributing yourself. Got it. So you, in the, as you went into this, your thought was in your head, okay, I'm going to build something here that I'm going to make money in the long term because I'm going to keep my costs down print it up myself, distribute it myself, that type of thing. Is that what the right. thought process was? Yeah, and, and there's always been a, a stigma for doing print-on-demand. And I think finally in the past few years, that's, that's kind of gone away, especially with the rise of e-books. Um, but there, there always was a weird thing like, oh, that's a print-on-demand. Well, I don't want that. It's, it's not as good. But the right. quality of print-on-demand products has risen so much that I don't think there is that much of a gap that there used to be. 
So if I'm a photographer, I'm not. But if I were mm-hmm. a photographer, wait a minute, I got pictures of my kids. Okay, so I'm a, I'm a photographer of my kids. They're nothing worthy. This print-on-demand thing is actually pretty straightforward, isn't it? Because I'm starting to realize that I have a Mac. I think I can even do it on my Mac. And how did you – you did it through – I think you mentioned the – was it the calendar that you did through Lulu? Yeah, I did the calendar through Lulu.com, which is mostly known for doing um, self-published like novels or nonfiction books. But they also offer calendars, and their calendars were a really good price, especially because it was Christmas time and all the calendars are on sale. So I actually saved $2 per copy than I had planned on. And about how many copies did you get? Is that something you're willing to share? For the the, the Kickstarter, um, it was about 100 and then oh. post the Kickstarter, it was about three hundred. So at two dollars a, that's about a thousand dollars, right? I mean, for for because you said the cost savings was two dollars per calendar. Well, no, no, I mean the, the the Christmas discount was was cost saving. There was there was additional profit built into that anyway. Oh, okay, okay, oh, good, all right, uh, making sense. So, how hard was it to use Lulu, and would you do it again without the discount? The second calendar, are you going through Lulu again? I am going to go through Lulu again for the second calendar, and that's because after doing the first Kickstarter campaign for the first calendar and realizing how much people wanted to build their own, I'm really embracing it this time. So we're actually going into the second calendar with over 50 photos from people to choose from. And there's no way to give that kind of customization to backers unless I did print on demand. How hard is it to use? For those who aren't familiar, let's give everybody a quick rundown on Lulu Mm -hmm. and how hard it is to do what you're about to do. Um, it's, it's in terms of skill wise, it's not hard at all. It can be tedious going through those stupid menus and waiting for screen to load, but that's just normal computer interface stuff. There really is no extra skill. Like I'm not extra awesome because I use Lulu. Anyone can use Lulu. Right. And so when you say anyone can, we're talking from a skill level standpoint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So any dad out there who wants to create, uh, images of his, uh, child, can just go out there and knock together a pretty a cool calendar. Daughter's going off to college, and so mom says, "Oh, I'm going to create a calendar for her so that she'll have this or you know whatever." It, it's it's literally at, the, at that level, right? Moms and dads can just upload yeah. it. And then honestly, I think that's pretty much what the market or what it was designed for. I'm kind of using it outside the box, and you're using it because you're going in saying, "Oh, I'm going to make this so customizable that people are willing to." To pledge, because the the hard work you're putting in is the photography, right? The imagery. Yeah, I'm selling the the art with a capital A. Okay, so this is with the calendars. That's pretty straightforward. So if people go out to lulu.com, they sign up, they get an account. Oh, by the way, it's all free, right? That's the other point we didn't talk about, that it's all free. Yeah, I didn't pay anything up front. They just get a, a set cut from each calendar printed. Oh, that's kind of cool. Okay. Ah, that's kind of cool. There's some, and if you want to just pump out ten calendars for, you know, you got a gaming group or you've got a. Uh, no, and, and I had people who contacted me. I had a woman in, I think it was Australia, who said, "Hey, we do a, a special thing every year. It's in January. It's a whole week getaway. Can I buy, you know, ten extra calendars just to give away for that event? But I want, you know, these specific Australian holidays on it." And I was like, "Yeah, sure." She could have done that herself, couldn't she? She didn't have the photos. Oh, she wanted photos. Oh, your photos. Yeah, on she those- wanted my. Yeah, she wanted my gaming calendar, but but ten specific copies that were Australian, so the holidays were slightly different. Oh, you're like okay, yeah, sure. It was, wasn't my- the problem at all. I even cut her a deal. 
Okay, so let's talk about then publishing uh, the other publishing because the one that you mentioned in the last episode, which is why I had you back, that's got me mm-hmm. really intrigued, is the finishing the script, a, uh, a nonfiction book that is based on a college course you taught about how to write fiction scripts or screen. You say it better than I because I don't know what I'm talking about. Go ahead. What is it? Uh, the, the exact title is uh, Finish the Script, a college screenwriting course in book form. And it's basically a walkthrough of my college course. So there's like a lecture and an assignment. And it walks you through the full steps of how to get through your first draft and the first rewrite of a screenplay. How, how many pages? Uh, 179. 179 pages. You put this together. Where did you publish this one? Uh, this is published through um, Create Space, which is owned by Amazon. Okay, so you went out to, and so our listeners know, CreateSpace is very similar to Lulu.com, a competitor, actually a competitor of Lulu.com. So you uploaded everything, you went through those processes. So tell me that, this is the part I'm interested in. So tell me that process. And then, you know what? Hang on, we'll come back to that. Because here's the question I really want to ask, and I don't want to wait till the end to ask it. You have created this book in e-format, paperback, and audio, right? Yes. And you mentioned that the e's done the ebook's done okay. Mm-hmm. They, they trickle in. Yeah. The the paperback has been minuscule. Minuscule. But it's the audio book that you said I think you even said like one a day are dropping in. Mm-hmm. Um it sounds almost like why even bother with the paperback? Um the, the paperback really doesn't take any extra effort because I'm still doing the book at layout and design for the ebook. And so it's kind of just there in case people want it. And I know with Finish the Script, at least, a lot of people who have bought the paperback are people who listen to the audiobook and wanted a, a print version of it. Um, so it's kind of there almost like a, a fan service of, hey, if you do want it, the option is there. But Sale-wise, it's definitely been the ebook and the audiobook that people are way more interested in. So let's talk about the ebook then. So the mm-hmm. ebook, uh, the cost of an ebook is a very different structured cost than the. Excuse me. Let's talk about the audiobook. The cost of an audiobook is a very different structured cost than the ebook, right? Or is it? Uh. Again, the, remember, I don't know what I'm talking about, so my questions <laughs> might not make any sense. And you just say, Richard, that question doesn't make any sense. Well, the, 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 no matter what, you're going to have a, a base cost, and that's your, your basic publishing cost. And I don't mean the printing cost. I mean the cost of hiring a graphic designer, the cost of hiring an editor, cost of hiring a copy editor. So no matter which form you're going to take the book in, you're going to be paying that up front no matter what. Um, additionally, putting out an ebook, there is no additional cost. You're just going to lose a cut to Amazon or Nook or wherever you're going to publish it at. Doing the print book, it's, it's the same deal. All the other costs have been covered ahead of time, but you're going to lose a slight you know, uh, profit to CreateSpace or Lulu or wherever you're publishing it. When you get to the audiobook, there is additional cost because you're going to have to hire a producer to produce the book, record the audio, edit the audio. Okay. You still there? Yeah, I'm here. So this isn't something like um, – I guess you could do it yourself. You, you can do it yourself, and there is an option through most of these places to, to publish your own audiobook. But I'm not a professional voice narrator. Um, if someone's going to listen to my audiobook, I want it to be a professional version even if I'm publishing it myself. And that's why in the case of Finish the Script, I used a service called ACX. Okay. Um, ACX is really simple. You sign up for ACX. You say, hey, look, I want to do an audiobook. 
version of this book. And you send a link to like the Amazon account. Um, people then audition for it. You pick who you like. You form an agreement, and they go and produce it for you. And and so, to, uh, that sounded really easy. But so to make sure, when you say they go and produce it for you, you're mm-hmm. getting. So you mentioned that the producer and sometimes the voiceover person can be the same person. They don't have to be right. separate. Right. I knew ahead of time with finish the script that I wanted to work with uh, Eric Michael Summer. And he is best known for the, the Dice Tower, but his day job is he's actually a uh, voice actor and book narrator. Okay. So ahead of time, I contacted him. We kind of figured out what we wanted to do and how we wanted to, to handle payment. And we went into ACX. I did all the, the technical paperwork of, of putting it up there. He agreed to it through ACX. Once that happens on ACX, it was kind of – it was very interesting. Um, he first had recorded a 20-minute demo, sent it to me. I approved it. Once that happens, he then recorded the rest of the book. He sent it to me. I approved it. Once that happens, he goes ahead and sends the final files to ACX, and it gets published. And ACX does all the publishing. They handle everything. Yeah, they handle everything, which now, is how, how I like it. I like it when I don't have to do anything. Yeah. Now, in this case, did you um, – so now let's talk about – there were several pieces in there. You just kind of glossed over, and I was just like, oh, really? That doesn't – that sounded easy, but I know that wasn't easy. Um, <laughs> And now I can't remember what piece they were. So let's talk about the money piece. Okay. So who decides the price of the book? Audio. We're talking audio now. The, the, the cost of the audio book? Yeah. How much is the audio book going to sell for? Who decides that? Uh, you have an option to, to, to edit and control it, but most of it's dependent upon the length of the audio book. Generally, if you have a, a one-hour audio book, you're not going to sell it for like $30. Um, how much so- are you going to sell it for? For Cupcake versus Brownies, I don't know in that case because – the audiobook hasn't been recorded. For finish the script, uh, I think it's twelve ninety nine or fourteen ninety nine. And how long is finish the script as an audiobook? Hundred pages. Uh, I, I believe it's f- it's one hundred and seventy pages, and that's about four and a half hours. Okay, so we could do some math in our heads, and so ACX mm-hmm. handled all of this. You upload it now. When it comes to the distribution of, because they're going to collect the money because. Yeah, how does the money collection how does that how does that magic check land in your pocket? Well, there's there's two options. You either sign an exclusive deal with ACX, or you sign a, a non-exclusive rights deal. Um, if you sign exclusive, then you get more money on the back end. If you sign non-exclusive, i.e., you want to sell it on your website or for at different locations, then then you're going to get less for it. In terms of the money, that's kind of how it happens. You put in your bank account, you tell it deposit the money, you know, once a month to this account, and they kind of just do everything else on their own. So what, um, when you say exclusive, who are we talking exclusive? You mentioned something about ACX being owned by Amazon. Right. So that'll be when it, when ACX publishes it, it goes to Amazon, it goes to Audible.com, and it goes to iTunes. And that's consi- are, that's considered exclusive. Yeah, when those are pretty much the, the three main places where audiobooks are sold anyway. So for Finish the Script, I had no problem selling an exclusive deal for it. That's what I was going to say. That sounded slightly confusing because that sounded like everywhere. Yeah, exactly. But uh, that also prevents me from legally selling copies on my own. Yeah, but you really – we already d- determined that was too much work for you. You don't want to be doing that kind of work. Right? No, I don't. Yeah, no. but if, I, but if I, I wanted to do a Kickstarter and sell the audiobook through the Kickstarter, that might cause contract problems. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, that's a good, that's a good point to, to take into consideration because it's not like you can take brownies versus cupcakes and then – or cupcakes versus brownies and then tack on your um, script book 
No, so what, what I'm going to do with the new Kickstarter is just I'm going to try out for the first time the non-exclusive rights and see if there's a drastic difference or not. Got it. Okay. And so the money, they handle it. They get it on Amazon. They get it on iTunes. They get it on uh, Audible. The book gets sold. Uh, you get you know, that check. Did you pay your friend beforehand or does he get paid out of that money? It depends on the deal I signed with them. Okay. And so what kind of – yeah, and that's well, – I'm sorry. That's what I was asking was a general question, not a specific question okay. in your contract. <laughs> sorry. And right. uh, Normally I, when you're working with a, a producer or a voice actor, there's normally two routes you can go. You can you pay them um, – not up front, but, but pay them ahead of time before the audiobooks release for the work they're doing. Or you can make a back-end deal where they're getting a cut of the sales. Um, when you make weird, that – go ahead. Sorry. Well, the weird thing about audiobooks is that – Voice actors, when they determine what they get paid, they actually get paid on the finished length of the audiobook. So a lot of times when you're getting quotes, it's going to be a quote of per hour. So if the audiobook is going to be four hours, their their quote might be 250 times four or it might be, you know, 800 times four. The, the price just kind of depends on the actual narrator. And that's a price then – and then who – and OK. So that's understandable. If you want to pay up front – do do you choose that? How do you choose that and decide? Well, you know what? We're almost out of time, so I need to make sure I, I wrap up my questions here. So question one, number one would be if depending on the payment process up front or on the back end after the sale is made, does ACX handle all distribution? Do you pay ACX and then they pay the producer? Um, do you know? You might not know the answer to that one. I, I believe the, the way it was handled before is that uh, you send the money producer. They they agree that you've got, you've sent the payment, and then everything happens on ACX. Got it. And if it's on the back end, then the, you don't do anything. You don't do anything because ACX knows the agreement already through the system. Yes. Okay. And then the, so they'll send you your check, and they'll send the producer his check or her check, and everybody's mm-hmm. happy. Right. Okay. I think I've answered, and we're down to just uh, the last 90 seconds or so. I think I've asked all the questions that I can remember. I haven't remembered all the questions I wanted to ask, but <laughs> I think we're good. Um, any last, you know, in the last 30 seconds or so, 45 seconds, anything that maybe I missed that uh, people should – it sounds like a really cool thing. Yeah, I mean if if you have a product, obviously like a finished book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, and you've already paid for the publishing of the ebook and the print book, there really isn't that much additional cost to do the audiobook. So if you've never explored that before, it's something worth checking out. Perfect. Your Kickstarter project is is it cupcakes versus brownies or brownies cupcakes versus cu- cupcakes versus brownies? Okay, it's C before B. It's not alphabetical. Cupcakes versus brownies. It's on Kickstarter right now. People can take a, a, a look at that, or they can find you at scottking.info and at Scott King. Scott, thank you so much for coming and taking the time to kind of explain some of this to to us. Hey, I was happy to come back again. This is awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, I was happy to have you come back. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Scott King. If you want to know how to publish audiobooks, this was the episode to listen to. Tell all your friends. And don't forget to visit patreon.com slash Richard Bliss to go and pledge for the podcast to keep it going and show your support. Thanks for listening. Take care. (laughs) 